Welcome to Driftwood Church at the Beach. Uh, so yeah, so my name is JJ, and since I stand up here sometimes in the morning and say hello, I'm just going to take a quick minute um, to share that uh, my wife Ashley and I met, and it was almost 10 years ago that we got married uh, in March, about 10 years ago. Uh, yeah, so we're like coming up on that. Pretty exciting. And we do have a little boy that is, uh, he's almost seven. He'll be seven in November, and that's Keone. And you'll see him running around from time to time. And then we have a little girl named Alana, and she did just turn two. And that was crazy. Um, crazy and just that, I mean, I remember we were driving around uh, ready to, like, see Alana at some point. And the wall, I think your water hadn't broken yet, but we're just driving. And all of a sudden, Ashley's like, all right, we need to go to the hospital. The only problem with that was that I just got into Walmart, and I just got out because I needed to replace a headlight. And um, I was in the middle of doing that, and I said, well, you know, we really need to wait just a minute because if I don't get this headlight in and I need to drive at night, you know, I'll forget, I'll get pulled over. So we waited, I did the headlight, then we went to the hospital. Luckily, I was pretty good at doing it because my headlight burns out almost every four months, Terry. You know, when you notice it's gone, it's every four months. I've been timing it for like the last two years. It's pretty bad. And then uh, we got to the hospital. Ashley gets in. We moved through really quickly, and the baby moved through really quickly, too. So it was really quick, really quick moment there at the hospital, but it was good. Like, we get in, and they start doing their inspection, and they're like, yeah, you're ready to have this baby. And Ashley's like, wait, what? You know? And then all of a sudden, there it was. So Alana came out pretty quick, uh, from what I can remember anyways. And, uh, and then from that moment, uh, it was just a short moment at the hospital, and then here we are. And uh, speaking of babies, Kevin and Kristen Epps, for those of you that weren't here last week, I'll just let you know that, again, uh, they did have their baby last week, and they're watching from home today, and that was a thing that they wanted to put in the praise jar, was just a praise that uh, their baby boy is doing good, and they've actually already traveled around and met family, like drove over to Plant City. I don't know. She's Kristen's like superwoman, all right? Like, I mean, she's ready to go anywhere, uh, but at the same time, super excited for, th for them. And then Kevin's super excited because now he gets to go back to flying. Um, he was put on the do not fly list at MFI because at any moment a baby could be born. So now he gets to go back to flying, and I know he's excited to do that. Um, so Ashley and I did. We came down here in 2016. We started doing stuff with Driftwood Church at the beach a little bit earlier than in a couple of years prior, 2014. Eddie put umbrellas in the sand. And um, for those of you that are meeting up here in this nice kind of room, uh, it looked a little different with umbrellas in the sand in July. And then it looked even more different. You know, if you walk in downstairs and you see what it looks like down there, imagine it with like this green carpet. Uh, not installed by the church, by the way. That's a shocker for those of you that have ever been in a Baptist church. It's either green or maroon carpet. We did not install that carpet. It was green, uh, already prepped for a church. And uh, so then uh, there was a couple nice chairs and then essentially the chairs that you're sitting in now. And you had this group that was meeting downstairs, whether the air conditioning was working or not. Nursery workers, it's been happening longer than you've been in nursery. So, uh, and then after that, it did eventually get to move up here. And we've been meeting ever since. And for those of you that are joining, if you're a local, uh, we used to say that about 25% of the people at Driftwood were locals, but daggone it, we uh, made you feel really comfortable and you decided to move here. So um, now I guess there's a few more locals than there used to be. Uh, but at the same time, there is a snowbird season coming and Driftwood in its history, uh, there was a moment where Eddie was in a Bible study and was it the Bible study at the hair salon that they said that did God really call us to love? Or is that at a business meeting type thing? First Bible studies here. There was a business meeting and someone had the revelation uh, within that meeting of a Bible study that, hey, God's really called us to love the people that we hate every year that come to Florida. And it's like, yeah, so um, so it is. It's a shocker. Right. And so whenever we do, whenever I'm praying and I'm thinking about people in like war zones and, you know, persecution and whatnot, I'm also praying about the fact that we have snowbird season coming. Y'all, the roads are about to get awful. It's going to be a war zone out there just as much as it is anywhere else. But uh, in all seriousness, God did call us here. And there was a moment when we were here when I remember that we were three months in and I still did not have a job uh, living in South Florida. And I hadn't really created too much of a savings, but the savings that I did have was gone. And, uh, and so that was kind of it. It was like, okay, so what are we going to do now as far as a job so I can make money? And it's not that I don't have skill and it's not that I'm not willing to, wor to work. I mean, I was at 
I was applying at Cumberland Farms, right? I was like, I'll scrub toilets. Like I walked in, do you guys need anyone to work? I'll scrub your toilets. I, I don't know if my resume was too much for them and they just thought that I wouldn't stick around, but I would have like snatched me up immediately if I was them. Um, you know, I was willing to work on the slushy machines, everything, like anything to keep them like operating well, I would have done it. And uh, they just, I, they didn't bite at that moment. And I applied a few other places as well, but just nothing. I mean, I tried. And um, uh, Zane, had you said something, you know, if I hadn't met you sooner, I'd be working in air conditioning. I don't know how long, but I'd have been working for a while anyways. And so I was willing to do anything because I needed to be able to bring in a paycheck. And um, God had kind of already given me little cues throughout the time before even moving here that, hey, that could, you know, I can take care of you. And I knew that, you know, in my head. Um, but here's the problem with the things that we sometimes know about God is that, you know, we know them, we maybe have studied them, we've learned them, we've read them in the Bible before, and then all of a sudden we mold who God is into not a God that's sustaining us, but a God that we can carry, right? It's like, hey, God, I'm going to move to South Florida, so hey, why don't you come along with me really quick? And so uh, really quick, I need to do an illustration with that just so we can get this uh, visualization started. So I need a really strong person that I know can hold up a lot of weight. Marley, come on up here. I need you. Uh, so we're going to talk about we're going to talk about Jehovah Suri and we're going to talk about Jehovah the one that is my rock, God my rock. And uh, talking with the Bible study kids, Marley is in our Bible study on Wednesday nights for high school, middle school boys, and Marley ended up catching me on a trust fall and just so that nobody has to hear how high, Marley, we won't talk about how high I was up on the apartment complex, but um, the boys caught me, and I know that Marley and uh, Spencer were one of the two that almost hit heads together because they sustained all of my weight from quite a height, and so um, they did catch me, and so Marley, I'm going to need you really quick. I don't think this is going to scuff up your shirt, so... I got this rock, so you're going to hold that for a second. So Marley's just going to stand here and hold this rock. I'm going to continue on. So a lot of times what happens is that we take God and we think, oh man, God's like this really big, powerful God. So I'm going to, I'm going to trust in him, right? And um, did you just break a piece of God off? Don't do that. It's going to ruin the sermon. See, look, already God's chipping away. It's like we're just, all right, so we, when we take God and we think, wow, God's my rock. And I think that one of the, the struggles is, is that there's a truth about God that he calls himself the rock. And there are parts throughout scripture where people refer to God as the rock. But then you might know that, but then you decide that you need to be in charge of that rock in some way, shape, or form. And so we make God our rock. Does it feel pretty good? You're leaning back and distributing the weight really well. So um, there are, it's, I'm glad that you figured that out so quickly. I was going to have you hold it out in front, but I didn't want to drop it on the floor. Terry needs that later, so don't drop it. Uh, it goes in his yard. So, um, but anyway, so, uh, so Marley's holding God, and this is what we do. And so Marley, wherever he goes, he's going to take God with him. And that's what we, that's what I thought, you know, going into coming down to South Florida. It's like, okay, I need to bring God with me uh, no matter where I go. And so I would maybe be sustaining God in some way. And I'm like looking for a job, and I'm trying to think, how am I going to sustain my family? Then one day I'm driving and I'm like, God, I'm kind of done like expecting something from you. That's, I just was like, I'm kind of tired of it. I've not got a job. It's three months. I can't pay next month's rent. Gonna have to move in with the in-laws. Like not really, God, we're kind of, yeah, it's like, that's what I thought. I don't know if we were going to work that out or not. But anyway, so I was like, I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna expect anything big from you anymore. Uh, but you know what, whatever, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna trust you with enough to know that I'm gonna go to Bible study uh, tonight or whatever the night was and um, went there talking, sharing, meeting other people. And this guy that arrived at Bible study for the first time as well um, was just so happened to be looking for someone that did graphic design and marketing, which is what I do. Um, and he was willing to pay me up front for the first half of the month just to like come and join him and drop everything I was doing um, it's because he needed somebody. So I was like, all right, I can do this, right? Like, God, thank you. So I ran into it. It was like, absolutely. And it was no, no doubt that it was God that did it. But it was at the moment that I kind of stopped expecting God to do something because I stopped holding on to him in this way, right? Like holding on to who God was in the sense of I've got to hold God in order for him to be with me. Um, and so we're going to look at God, my rock. Are you good to just continue to stand there? All right. 
So um, let's see if I can get my clicker to work. Here we go. All right, it's up. So we're going to talk about God, my rock. And uh, before we move on to that, though, here's the problem, though, is that whenever we start to make God our rock, right, um, and he's like this really big, awesome God, sometimes he does get heavy. Is he heavy at the moment? Yeah. Is your back hurting? A little bit. Okay. Only a little? This is why I chose Marley to do this for right now. This is a heavy rock. I had to carry it up the stairs. I can vouch for its heaviness, all right? Uh, and I think it's, it's got like holes in it, and it rained the last couple days, so it is waterlogged. Like if you touch it, there's water in it. So it's not even that it's just a rock. There's like somehow, I mean, I'm surprised it's not leaking on your shirt yet, but we'll find out in a minute. All right, so, but we do have God, and eventually God does get heavy. And so sometimes people see if you're a believer in Christ, you're a believer in God, and you walk around like this holding God, then this is what I believe happens, is that other people come and they say, you know, I need God in my life, but I don't need the God you're carrying. So I'm going to carry a different God. So let's see, I need somebody else that can carry a different God. Ben, how about this? You come up. I told you I was going to use you today. All right, so uh, Ben's going to get this nice polished <laughs> off God. All right, but, but here's the thing, though, is that this, your God, you've decided to make just a few rules um, because you want to look really good on the outside. So Marley's hugging it, like trying to keep it really close to home. You're going to kind of hold God out here for me. All right, just one hand. Just hold him out and just, yeah, just continue to hold him out. So sometimes what happens is that, right, we see the person that's holding on to their version of God. He, maybe Marley has studied the, Bible, studied the Bible a lot. He knows God really, really well. Um, but he still feels like, you know, as much as I know about God, that's the God that I'm holding on to. And I'm going to continue to walk around with him and he's going to take care of me. Right. And then someone else comes along and then they see, ooh, I don't really like the way that Marley is trusting in his God right now, but I like the concept of Marley's God. Because, you know, there's good things about him. Um, he, he loves me, right? He wants peace. I like the fruits of the Spirit, God. That's good. I'm going to take everything that I know about those words that are the fruit of the Spirit, and I like all of those little notations of the fruits of the Spirit, God, and I'm just going to take those little points, okay? It's nice and polished off and kind of pretty looking. I put it in my garden, right? And I'm just going to hold it, but... I don't want to get so attached to it like Marley is where I'm willing to put through like the back break, right? Of like, I'm going to hold on to it no matter what because everyone's watching me and I got to prove myself, right? I'm going to do the, I'm going to hold God out here. And eventually, no, out, out. Like, I want your shoulder to be on fire in about five minutes. All right, so I'm going to hold God out here. And eventually, it would have already happened by now, eventually that God gets really, really heavy. And you will start to drop back into that, like, kind of cradle position. Or maybe you'll hold two hands out, right? That actually looks like something then at that point of sacrifice, right? But anyway, so, uh, but you, you'll hold that God out. And you'll still point to the Bible and say, no, I'm worshiping God, all right? But you're molding him into something he's not. And so when I saw this idea of God, my rock, that's what I start immediately went to is there's a lot of rocks out there, right? Like, I mean, where's someone else that's here? I'm going to give you a God, all right? You're just going to hold God right there. You got God. You can put him in your lap. You don't have to. Now, right now, Marley, which God would you rather serve right now? You still like the God you're holding on to? Okay. You're going to be up here all day. I'm just telling you. You'll take the little God. All right, there we go. All right, well then, okay, okay. So then in that case here, we'll switch. There you go. All right, you can hold that God out, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, all right. Was that easier? Easier oh, yeah. burden? Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. So you see how very, very quickly, um, if you're trying to sustain God, it's going to fail eventually. Marley really wants to see how long he can go, which is fine. All right, then you can go sit down. Marley's not sitting down yet, though. I'm not going to let him. All right. All right. He's going to he's going to mess with me. We're just going to let it happen. All right. So here's what we do. I'm going to go into uh, we're going to have an opportunity. We're going to look through scripture and I'm going to let scripture talk for itself. Um, but at the same time as letting scripture talk for itself, I want you to see a couple things. So God describes himself in a couple different ways. Um, but we're going to look at first how Peter describes Christ. OK, so. Main question to look at right now is, do you sustain Christ or does Christ sustain you? So 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 4 and 8. All right? 
So if you've decided, right, if you've given your life to the Lord, if you're what they might label as a Christian, all right, let's look at how this breaks down really quickly. You're coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone, and that's a really important phrase there, but he's a living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. So already, that idea there of through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices, that phrase in of itself means you don't hold on to God. Okay, Jesus is holding on to you. Because of what Jesus has done, what you choose to do for God matters. What you choose to do for God, thinking that you're maybe holding on to him or holding on to Jesus, that's the stuff that doesn't matter. That's kind of pointless. It doesn't matter how great it is. Okay, if God's not at the absolute... You comfortable? All right, he's good now. All right, if God's not at the absolute foundation of everything, if he's not the one sustaining you, what you do absolutely does not matter. And so we offer now sacrifices that please God. So what Marley's doing right now might be pleasing to you, right? It's kind of going to get humorous after a while. But what he's doing right now, if what he's doing right now is holding up God, he could be out serving the poor. He could be out feeding uh, you know, a village. He could be out doing mission work. I mean, come on, just come with the biggest thing that you can think of. Um, he could be Mother Teresa out there starving herself while she feeds other people. If what's going on is something that is just simply they're trying to hold up God. God, if I don't do this, then you're not going to look good. Right? If you're trying to hold up God, it's not going to please Him. He would rather you fail trusting Him completely than for you to do everything in your power to hold him up. Marley, you're going to still stand there, though, because you're doing great. All right? <clears throat> so as the Scriptures say, I'm placing a cornerstone. There's that cornerstone. Okay? We just talked about that being Jesus. But I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. This stuck out to our Bible study group, and that is why I did a trust fall about the height of Skyler off of Skyler Stand Up. He's like, what? What are you, seven? Some? No. All right, he's almost seven foot. Anyways, it felt way higher. I looked down at, I mean, we're talking like high schoolers and middle schoolers, right? So I looked down at them, but then I had Spencer and Skyler there, and I was like, all right, they'll catch me. All right, but watching back the video, because Emily walked up just as I was about to fall, and she thought this could be important. And so she started recording. Um, that was the moment that I watched and I realized, wow, I barely made it um, because of Spencer and Marley catching me the way that they did. All right. Um, so had I been disgraced in that moment, then I really am trusting God that I'm not going to break my spine. Right. Um, and so that's but that was the moment where I was like, this is what trusting the point where, you know, you're not going to be disgraced. To get to that point, you've got to actually be at a point where when you're disgraced, you can look at God and you can say, that was your fault. You did not catch me in that. So prove yourself right now in this moment. And I think that if you're not willing to go to that point, then you're holding on to him. There's going to be moments in your life. Uh, they do not have to be every single day. Okay? Because that could, I mean, they could be if you really want to go that route. But they don't have to be every single day. But there will be moments where God's like, are you really trusting me to catch you versus you holding me during this moment? And if you're willing to say yes, then that means that you've put down that rock and you're actually letting God sustain you. So let's look at, uh, let's look at this a little bit further. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, specifically Christ. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Still talking about Jesus. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. Nobody just says, hey, I'm going to trust in Jesus, okay? Um, that's a lot to trust in Jesus. You have to come to a point where you realize that's who I need to trust. It's not amount of brains. It's not amount of, I mean, it is faith, okay? There's a lot of people that are seeking like this scientific crazy answer for why Jesus is the reason, and maybe that is the route that you're going to take, but at some point, it's faith. It's actually saying, I fully do trust that Jesus is it. 
He is the cornerstone, right? He's not a rock I'm going to hold. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. And the fate is forever being separated from God. But um, in order to understand this idea of God being the rock, let's jump back. So we're going to get to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Here's the song of Moses. This is what Moses is saying at one point. He says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. How glorious is our God. They've just crossed the Red Sea, y'all. So they are past the point of being slaves in Egypt. Pharaoh just chased them down. They were pinned up against a sea. And there was literally no other way out except for we run back to Egypt and hopefully they don't kill us. And even if they do, that might be okay. Or we go through the Red Sea because God gave him that idea, right? So God says, hey, turn around, take your staff. You're going that way. And in that moment, Moses turns around to two million people and he says, hey, guys, we're going that way. That's crazy. Like, uh-uh. I don't think so, right? Moses. And then all of a sudden, Moses walks out in faith, looking like a crazy dude, and the water starts to part. And now all of a sudden, what do you think the Israelites look like? A mad dash. I mean, forget that. I'm at the front of the line. I don't even care at this moment. The water's parting. I'm going, right? And we hope that we can be like that. But Moses was the one that heard from God. And that was a crazy thing he had to hear from God at that moment. But still, it happens. They go through the Red Sea. They get to the other side. The Egyptians are wiped out, including Pharaoh. And now here we are. Moses proclaims this song. He says this, He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. Moses' song continues though. Okay, It continues to recount just a few more things. Because as they wander through the wilderness, Moses gets a better look at who the Israelites are. Let's check it out really quick going in Exodus. So, I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Uh, strike the rock. The water will come gushing out. Then people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. So God talks to Moses, and he says, hey, I'm going to give you guys water in the middle of this wilderness. You're parched, you're thirsty. Previous verses, everybody was complaining about Moses, saying that he was a terrible leader, that he had led them out into the wilderness to die. They were complaining that they were super thirsty, and God takes mercy on the people and all of their complaints, and he says, yeah, they're thirsty. They're in the middle of the desert, Moses. I'm going to give them water. You're going to go hit this rock and water's going to come gushing out. So there's an idea. Not only is God the rock that maybe sustains us physically in the middle of a war or a battle, God's a rock that will sustain us physically as well. He gives you what you need. Specifically talking about water, Jesus says, drink this water, this living water that I have to offer, and you'll never be thirsty again to the woman at the well in Samaria. So there's this idea that God is sustaining us not only in times of war, but also in times of physical need, uh, but we also know in spiritual need as well. Exodus chapter 24, uh, verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain. It's a big rock, right? Anyways, but come up to me on the mountain, stay there, and I will give you these tablets of stone on which I've inscribed instructions and commands so that you can teach the people. So the Ten Commandments, those are on a rock. So not only does the rock sustain us in the sense that it is protecting us, it sustains us in the sense that uh, it gives us sustenance or it gives us the ability to have relief, it gives water, or it gives spiritual life. But here we have instructions on tablets of stone. And depending on how you look at the Ten Commandments, you either see rules and regulations or as we saw, especially throughout Leviticus, you see an opportunity to worship God the way he wants to be worshiped. And when you get to do that, now you're truly in a relationship with God. So this Ten Commandments, these instructions are God saying, hey, I want to have a relationship with you. I'm putting this on stone so forever you'll be able to have a relationship with me. Is that heavy yet? Nope. All right. So Exodus chapter 32, all right, verses 3 through 6. So here we go. God's getting to this point, right? And then all of a sudden, check this out. All the people take their gold rings from their ears, brought them to Aaron, who's the high priest at the time, or the priest at the time. Aaron takes all this gold. He melts it down, molds it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. It's a God we can carry. 
I like this God. I can see him physically. I can move this God wherever I want. We can make a lot of variations of this God that we can worship. And you know what? The great thing is we melted down our jewelry to make it. So if we don't like the calf anymore, we can make it like an eagle or we can make it like this goat or something else. Like we can choose any animal, guys. So it's just a piece of metal. We can melt it down. We can make this God again. Um, And yeah, this didn't make... God very excited. But Aaron saw how excited they were, right? And so uh, the people were excited, so he built an altar in front of the calf, and he announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to, not the gods, to the Lord. But there's a calf. So we're worshiping this calf, and now we're all of a sudden going to call him God? The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. And after this, they celebrated with feasting, drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. So they just figured out their own way to worship God because they could carry him versus God sustaining them. So here's how Moses' song ends. We started off with Moses singing, Whoa, you know, this is great. God says this, I would have annihilated them. Talking about the Israelites. Like, I was ready to just burn them to crisp, right? Like, this is it. Wiping every single memory of them. Like, I wasn't even going to do the tombstone thing. Like, you guys weren't going to have a moment. I was going to restart Moses, and he was. He gave Moses an option. He's like, dude, right now, you, you're it. We'll choose you. We'll move forward from this point. And Moses, actually, in that moment, we, saw, we see in Scripture, Moses is like, no, God, you can't do that. But check this out. God says this, I feared. God can be afraid of something, right? But check this out. What did he fear? He says, I feared the taunt of Israel's enemy who might misunderstand and say, our own power has triumphed and the Lord had nothing to do with this. So he was going to bring them in and wipe them out. He was going to bring in potentially outsiders to wipe out the Israelites because they had created a God they could carry. And then all of a sudden, they'd be able to trump around with the God that they could carry, these outsiders, and say, look, we have overcome their God. And God's like, I wasn't going to let that happen, so I'm going to deal with this kind of insubordination in my own way. And there's ways he did it. We see that there are snakes in the desert, made them wander for 40 years, tried taking them into the promised land, you know, but then they were like, no, we don't want to do that. Um, And then there was the matter of just killing off every generation, bringing in a new generation, and then that generation going into the promised land. And then even fast forwarding even more, they still have their own issues. There's fights, there's wars, there's division of the nation itself. Um, It's amazing how quickly. But Moses kind of already had a a feel of that, and so did God. God, being omniscient, knowing everything, said this in verse 28. Israel is a senseless nation, right? Like we all are. I mean, I'm a senseless person. I do stupid stuff all the time. And the people are foolish and without understanding. Oh, that they were wise and could understand this. Oh, that they might know their fate. If only they knew where I was at they maybe would turn and they'd change their ways. How could one person chase a thousand and two people put 10,000 to flight unless their rock, the one that was sustaining them, the Lord had given them up? When I choose to give somebody up, that's the moment that, yeah, there really is no hope. But I'm providing sustenance and hope for them. The rock of our enemies is not like our rock, though. People that are walking around with gods, no matter who it is, If it's not the God of the Bible, if it's not the God of Scripture, if it's not Jesus Christ, our rock, those rocks are absolutely worthless. They're nothing. But if you're walking around holding God, I'm just telling you, that's not the God of the Bible. You don't sustain Him. He sustains you. And He is nothing like our rock. But you recognize this just as much as the enemies of Israel will have recognized this. Because the moment that He gets too heavy... There will be a point. Marley will either pass out, right? He'll get thirsty. Maybe, I mean, you might be able to pee. I don't know. Like, you might be able to do that. But there's going to be a point where Marley's like, that's it. I'm done. I'm not, I I might be able to hold it still, but I'm just kind of done holding this. This is getting tiresome, right? There will be a moment where you'll give up. So let's check this out again really quick. We're going to go into the rock. Here's 2 Samuel. We're going to read about David. So first it was Moses, Moses being this prophet that leads two million people out of Egypt. Now we have David, the king of a nation, who is a man after God's own heart, but even being a man after God's own heart, he's still messed up. 
right? But the reason why he was a man after God's own heart is because in messing up, in coming to places of failure, he still realized that he was the failure and that his God was not, right? And, and when we look at David's life, it is so easy to say, why would God ever let David be king? And that's a good question. Why would he ever let you go and find Christ? Why would he ever let you experience his goodness and mercy? Why would he ever let me have the opportunity to find a job whenever I didn't have any more money in my bank account? Why would he ever have given me a beautiful wife and two kids? Because when I look at my life, it's not much different than David's. Not exactly like David's, but you know, it's not much different than David's whenever you really look at David's life. So here, we're going to check this out. David figures a few things out. 2 Samuel 22. David sang this song to the Lord on the day that the Lord rescued him from all of his enemies and from Saul. So essentially his brothers and his sisters and the guy that was the king at the time uh, that had kind of gone nutso. Um, but Saul's this guy that had the glory of the Lord taken away from him. He was the king, but he was, uh, God was handing over the kingdom to David. And Saul chased him for a very long time, even though David proved himself to Saul as a loyal subject time and time again. Um, but this is what he's saying. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that has saves me, and my place of safety. He is my refuge, my Savior, the one who saves me from violence. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise, and He saved me. From my enemies. David realized these things about God. He, like I said, he messed up over and over again. Okay, but he constantly realized that it was not, he was not sustaining God. Anytime he thought, oh, I've got to help God out here, he realized very quickly that wasn't the case. Psalm 18, 1 through 2. I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock, and whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me and my place of safety. Marley, is that like a place of safety for you right now? Is it a shield? Could you like hold it up and like every arrow right now? Like just, no? Anyone want to try? Does anyone have like a little, if I give you all little rocks, you can pelt Marley and he can try to block them all, right? No, like that would be kind of difficult. Uh, everyone's thinking, yes, yes, yes. All right, Psalm 144, one through two. Praise the Lord who's my rock. He trains my hands for war. He gives my fingers skill for battle. Are your fingers feeling like they could hold things like really easily right now? Are they feeling numb, a little tingly maybe? Yeah, that's what I thought. He is my loving ally, my fortress, my tower of safety, my rescuer. He is my shield and I take refuge in him. He makes the nations submit to me. So David was a great king, right? He was without a doubt, like as far as war and going out and conquering, David was Israel's conquering king. He went out and the nations around him literally just submitted to him. Okay, and later on his son Solomon was the one that was one of the wisest kings. And again, nations submitted to him and his wisdom that God had given him. But David was the one that went out and conquered. A lot of blood on David's hands, but he was a conquering king. Everywhere he went, it seemed like he was having success. And the only place he didn't have success was within his own family. But you'll have to read about that on your own. So Psalm 40, verses 6 or 8. You take no delight in sacrifices. Again, David, right? Or maybe somebody that's writing on behalf of David, looking at David's life. Okay, this is Psalms. When they write the Psalms, it's usually like a Psalm of David or a Psalm of the King is kind of the idea. But let's, let's look at this. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. By the way, those burnt offerings and sin offerings were done on an altar. Um, and that altar, except for being in the temple, but you'd have an altar, it'd be stone, Right? So you don't require these consistent offerings, these typical offerings. You require something different. But it says this in verse 7, Then I said, look, I have come, as is written about me in the Scriptures, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. Carved. Literally, if you were to sever the heart, take instructions of God, and squish it back together, 
That's the idea of being written on my heart. It's not like God takes a pen and it's like nicely inscribed. It's the idea that God severs your heart in two and then he takes the instructions and he squishes your heart back together so it is hidden deep within your heart. So the same idea as the tablets, those tablets of stone that should last forever. Okay, this idea that God has written down the instructions. The instructions of God are written on my heart because he wants to have a relationship with me and he wants me to be able to love him. And in order to show him love, I've got to do what it is that he wants me to do. But it's not an obligation because I'm under this heavy load. It's an obligation because I love him. It's written on my heart. It's hidden deep within. Psalm 118, 19 through 24. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. These gates lead to the presence of the Lord, and the godly enter there. I thank you for answering my prayer and giving me victory. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's wonderful to see. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Catch in the middle of that scripture there, we had something that we maybe read before. This is where they pulled it from. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. There's something that is outside of just who I am. Okay, there's something coming. There's something God is going to do. There's something God is going to bring. There's something that is uh, unmoving, that is sustaining. And the thing that Psalm says is that there's going to be something that God is going to do and it's going to be rejected. Okay, but it's going to be the cornerstone. Here's a future hope. Israel actually had it. This is a future hope in Isaiah. Isaiah kind of gives future hope for Jerusalem, this idea of a messianic kingdom. And it's even the future hope that we're waiting on right now. Okay, so check this out. In that day, this future hope, what's coming? Everyone in the land of Judah will sing this song. Our city is strong. We are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Open the gates to all who are righteous. Allow the faithful to enter. And then this, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. There's a coming day when this is all going to be proven as true because God is an eternal rock. So what do we have to sustain us? Check this out. Isaiah 28:16. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. The promise from God, it's safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. Okay, so there's Old Testament. Okay, if you needed a foundation, if you came here this morning, you never read the Old Testament, there's a lot more in the Old Testament. I try to give you like a quick, right? Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 29. Place your complete trust in Jesus. Listen to what he says. Anyone who listens to my teaching, Jesus is making a very bold statement right now. He's saying, listen, if you want to hold on to a rock, hold on to my teaching right now. Okay? Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it was built on the bedrock. He's defining his teaching as that. Okay, so if you want to hold on to something that's going to sustain you, stand on the teachings of Christ. Anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Why were they amazed? Who was teaching them before? For he taught with real authority. Hang out on my foundation, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Hey, hold these rocks of the law. You got to do this, 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 as the trail goes on, 600 and something laws, and God will maybe accept you, but. I can keep those laws, so watch my life too. You know, they'd walk around all pious. They'd pray out loud in the streets. Jesus called them out, called them a brood of vipers. There was a lot that you had to do if you wanted to fall under the law of the teachers of religious law. But Jesus says, hey, listen, trust my teaching. Put all your faith, everything, on the bedrock, the foundation of what I'm saying. Just trust me. And they're like, wait, that's all we have to do? He's like, yeah, that's you just, just everything that you've ever heard Trust me. You don't have to hold on to these rocks anymore. You don't have to hold up God. 
You don't have to prove yourself over and over and over with this crazy idea of making God somehow approve of you. Just trust my teaching because I'm about to lay it out in this way. Matthew chapter 21, verse 4. Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read this in Scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Just so you know, yes, you did. We read it earlier. It's there. Okay. All right. This is the Lord's doing. It's wonderful to see. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the proper fruit. Anyone who stumbles over the stone, this idea of this cornerstone, will be broken to pieces and it will crush anyone it falls on. Acts chapter 4. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Rulers and elders of the people, Jesus has already died. Are we being questioned today, check this out, because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? So Jesus draws, or Peter draws a crowd. Do you want to know how he was healed? And all the crowd's like, yes, we do, including the religious leaders. Let me clearly state to you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it said, the stone that the builders rejected is now the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. And God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. That's the statement that Peter makes. And for the people that he was making it to, they had a massive amount of knowledge in Scripture to make a decision based off of that statement. Paul has to talk to a few other people, so he's going to go into 1 Corinthians, so we'll just talk to the Corinthians for a moment. Welcome to church, Corinthians. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them. That's Moses walking through the desert. They kind of wander before going to the promised land. And all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. There you go. There's the Red Sea. Okay? In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water, for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. So Paul lays out for them even a step further, being Corinthians, he says, hey, in the past, this is how the Jews came through. You've heard stories. You know our history. Right? You're smart people. You studied. This rock that we would drink from in the wilderness was Christ. Is he heavy yet? Yeah? All right. Look, he's shifted to the knee pose. All right? All right? So, but this rock that we had that sustained us in the wilderness was Christ. We did not have a rock that we sustained. We did not carry something through the wilderness that was God. God went before us as a pillar. He went before us as a cloud. He went before us. He split the Red Sea. He went before us. He provided water because He was the rock. The water that we received was Christ. The sustenance throughout the wilderness was Christ proving Himself in the Old Testament. And that's what Paul is making as his plea. Jesus will sustain you. So my question is, will you place all of your trust in him and here's the thing for some of you this morning maybe that's completely new concept you've never trusted jesus you don't even like you're just hearing about it for the first time who is this jesus well you saw in old testament scripture of the bible that there's a god that led a nation a people for many many years we'll just say it like that right many many years he made them into a great nation then they were a nation that made him mad he caused that nation to fall many many times and then he brought that nation back and that nation is israel and Israel is still in existence today. But as far as any Israelite is concerned, Israel is not at a state where they think that it should be. They believe that God's going to come in and He's going to open things up for them and He's going to make them into a superpower that we've never seen before. That's the idea that's talked about in the Old Testament. But the superpower talked about in the Old Testament is the future kingdom of God coming back to earth. And it began with Jesus Christ, our Savior. We saw him come in. He's the Messiah that's looked for in the Old Testament. He's the Messiah that's talked about as being the cornerstone. And later on, whenever he did come, we read about in the New Testament that when Jesus Christ came, he came as a baby, which put your faith and trust in that. Okay? His parents had to trust God because God through angels would speak to them and tell them where to go. Okay? So they were led by the Spirit as parents, keeping this baby alive. 
Really, God was the one keeping the baby alive. Jesus becomes a little boy. We see him in the synagogue at one point in the New Testament. Jesus is teaching, and the religious authorities are just blown away that this 12-year-old has so much knowledge about who God is. Fast forward again, now Jesus has his ministry, and now these same religious leaders that were blown away are upset because Jesus is saying, hey, listen to my teaching. And ultimately, listen to my teaching because God sent me. And when they ask him, are you, are you the guy? He's like, yeah, I am. He, at one point he says, I'm the gate. You want to get to God, you go through me. He says, I'm the good shepherd. You want, to, you want to trust in somebody and look to them as your savior, as your salvation, as the one that's going to lead you? I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one that's going to do that. That's what he said. He, he, he called himself, he said, I'm the one that produces this spiritual water that's going to provide everlasting life. When he's talking to Nicodemus, he says that he is not only that, but he says that God sent his only begotten son in the world, right? So that we could have everlasting life because of that. When he's talking in John chapter 14, he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. He's not just a teacher, he's not just a prophet, he's the Messiah. That's claims that he made. A cornerstone, a foundation that whether you are going to choose to trust today or not is a choice that you're going to have to make. That's on you. But if God's pulling you to do that today, I just want to give you one more thing. Romans chapter 10 says this, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, the proof, the foundation, the faith is this, you will be saved. There's no doubt. That's the statement that's made. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you're, dis- that you're saved. As the Scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. He's a cornerstone. If you put all of your weight and trust in Him, you will not be disgraced. If you put all of your weight and trust in the fact that God is the one that sustains you, you will not be disgraced. It might not go your way, but don't try to pick God back up because it gets heavy really quick. And it's way easier. Oh, I'm like flipping through scripture. It's way easier to walk around with God like as a pebble in your pocket, right? Or maybe he's like, maybe that's too small. So you like, you know, you find one, you find a God that's like all this pretty, like polished off God, right? And then you can just start like digging through your pockets and it's like one stone after the other. And it's like, I don't even know, right? Like God's just everywhere all of a sudden. I don't know which one I want. Don't try to sustain God because you're not going to be able to. And Marley was supposed to drop the rock a long time ago. (laughs) All right, let's hear from Marley. Good job, Marley. That was good. (laughs) Yo, you put it down. I'm not going to hold that thing. That's heavy. All right, nobody stumble over this rock where Marley just placed it. Uh, There you can sit down. All right, but yeah, so the, the reality is this. I want you guys just to remember that God is, uh, you can't hold him, all right? Like, don't try to hold on to God. Don't put him in your pocket. Don't think you're carrying him around, okay? If you're going somewhere, God's already there. He's omnipresent, right? If you're like thinking about something, don't think, oh, I'm going to hide this from him today because he's not ready to receive it. Like, God knows everything. He knows your heart. He knows what's going on, right? If, if you're afraid because, you know, like, I don't know if I should take that step, right? Like, take the step, because God's the one that's responsible for catching you, right? If you know God's led you to do it, it's, it's not against his word. That's why he gave us the Bible, right? If you're not reading it, we have free copies of the Bible, always, right? I will always try to make sure that there are Bibles ready for you to grab. If you do not have a Bible in your hands physically, go grab a Bible, okay? If you need one, I'll make sure that we always have one stocked. Have a copy of God's word in your hand. If you're not in a small group, get in one, Because likely, if you're struggling, you're going to have somebody else that you're able to share that with that's going to point you to, I want them to point you to the Word, okay? But at the same time, you know, if this is the first time that you're at Driftwood, we believe that the Bible is foundational. We want to help each other see life from God's perspective. But if you're going, if you go anywhere else, and you're under any other leadership, and someone says, hey, you know, if you really want to follow God, you're going to have to pick him up and, you know, make sure that you move him and carry him. Oh, you're... Maybe you set him down if he's too heavy, but there's always like this other little God that you can take. So what does that look like? If they're not telling you to stay in the word, if they're saying, hey, trust my word, if they're saying, I'm going to pray this over your life and it's not grounded in the word, 
then that's somebody that's carrying a rock that you do not want to carry. And you don't want the little pebbles that fall off of it. We're going to have to sweep over here, by the way. Anyways, you don't want any of that either. It's just a bunch of junk in your life. Right? What I want you to remember is that God is the one, I mean, this is like a small God. I don't really care to stand on Him. But God's the one that's going to sustain you. Right? He's the one that's going to hold you up. He's the one that you can trust in at all moments. And it starts with the only way that you're going to truly show Him right, that you love Him is obedience, is faith, is taking that step. And the first step does begin. You cannot do anything that pleases God. What we saw in 1 Peter chapter 2, you cannot do anything that pleases Him outside of putting your faith and trust in Christ. That's where it begins. Because He takes everything you do from that moment and He says, God, check out what this person did for you. That is so cool, God. I'm so excited, God. Look at what this person did because they, they whether or not they kind of got it wrong, I mean, I get it. Like, you know, they're humans, like they're sheep. But God, look, they actually wanted to do this for you. Jesus is going to, if you have your faith and trust in him, he's like, God, I told them to do this and they actually did it. Check it out. That makes him excited. And Jesus wants you to put your faith and trust in him today. If you've never done it for salvation, because apart from him, you stand before God and you are not accepted. That is the truth. He looks at you. He sees all the stuff you feel right now. Maybe if you feel like you're worthless, okay, if you feel like you're, you've got issues, yeah, it's called sin. We all have it. I stand before God. If I'm by myself, I'm worthless. I'm like a dirty rag, okay? God doesn't want me. But when he covers me with the blood of Jesus, that's what makes him want me because he sees Jesus. And then he says, yes, I have another in the kingdom that trusted and put their faith because it makes no sense right it's a cornerstone it's tripping i get tri it's a tripping hazard jesus is a tripping hazard to the world but i'm putting my faith and trust in him will you do the same i just wanted you to pray with me and if you feel like that's what you want to do this morning i'm going to let you do it because that's a relationship decision between you and jesus all right but Father, thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for being our sustainer, our provider, God, in the middle of the chaos of the world where I want to pick you up. Um, God, I just ask that you help use this illustration to remind me that I can't. And that picking you up is to do you a disservice to your name, is to do a disservice to you being the rock. Because God, you're not a pebble. You're not even some sort of big boulder that I can lift. Father, you are the one that actually, you are the rock of sus sustaining you are the rock that is going to provide. You are the one that is going to keep me uh, where I need to be. And God, I just ask that every day you give opportunity for me to have faith in you just a little bit more. And Father, I ask that when I take those steps, God, that I don't look at a trip up or a, a, a mishap as you being unable to sustain me. Father, I ask that you use those moments to be able to show me how I can trust you more. And uh, Father, you are the great provider, but God, I'm just so thankful that you are Jehovah Suri, God, my rock. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.